0: With more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. 30 extra minutes of baseball conversation on your Saturday. Hope your holidays are going very, very well. I'm Matt Spiegel. He is Bruce Levine. And our next guest joins us right now on the Alpamante Ford Hotline. Alpamante Ford is in Melrose Park.
1: The great Hall of Fame writer, and friend of mine, Matt, for the last 35 years. The great Bill Madden joining us on Inside the Clubhouse to discuss many things, including his fine new book on Tom Seaver, A Terrific Life. Bill, uh, happy holidays. Thanks for taking some time out today.
2: Same to you guys. Good to be here. Thanks, Bill.
1: Hey, Bill, um, when when you got the idea of talking to Tom, and we know that Tom passed away this year from uh, Alzheimer's and a, uh, and a very tough way to go uh, for sure. Uh, how much uh, did you, were you able to rely on Tom for uh, substance to use uh, in your book?
2: Well, the book is probably a compilation of a, uh, a more than 30-year friendship I had with him including many exclusive interviews with him through the years. Um, and then uh, I, had a, I had this relationship with him that really all started in 1983 when uh, the Mets left him unprotected in uh, what you remember was the free agent compensation draft mm-hmm. hmm. uh, in which teams that had lost free agents uh, were able to pick out a replacement player, so to speak, out of this pool of unprotected players by the other, uh, I think it was 24 clubs at the time. Anyway, um, I was working for the daily news and, and uh, I got a call from a friend of mine who worked in the commissioner's office. And he told me that um, uh, he asked me if I was going to be writing anything on the draft coming up the next day. or So, and I said, I don't know. I don't think so because it's not really a Yankee or a Mets story because they didn't lose any free agents. And he said to me, well, Bill, I, I hate to tell you this, but it's going to be a very big Mets story. I said, why did you say that? And he said, well, um, I'm sitting here in the commissioner's office, and uh, I'm looking at these lists, and the Mets left Seaver unprotected. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. And he said, no. He says, um, And he says, not only that, but I called the we called the White Sox this morning, and they're going to take him uh, when the draft is coming up in, in two days because they couldn't believe he was left unprotected. So I'm armed with this story, and I had to call Frank Cash, the general manager of the Mets, to get a confirmation on it, which he did very reluctantly. And uh, you got to remember, Bruce, this was back in 1983, long before the Internet, long before cell phones, long before Twitter and all these other things. Uh, and you could sit on a story and um, – as we did for eight hours before we put it in the paper at the mm. last edition, but anyway, I felt I had an obligation to see her. I didn't really know him that well at the time because I had covered the Yankees, and of course, he was with the Mets. Uh, but um, he knew me, and uh, I, this was a traumatic event in this man's life because he was going to have to leave the Mets for the second time, uh, and um, he's going to have to uproot his family, go to Chicago a whole new league, designated hitter and all this other stuff. So I called him at home to give him a heads up at the story that I was going to be running in the paper the next day. And he was always very he was very appreciative of the fact that I gave him the courtesy of telling him what I was going to be writing. And from that day on, uh I think he looked at me as more than just another sports writer. And we became friends through the years and he would call me periodically and in fact three years later 1986, uh, he was now winding down his career with the White Sox. He had already won his 300th game at Yankee Stadium in 1985, so he accomplished everything he'd wanted to do in his career. And he wanted to get back to New York, uh, and he was homesick. He had never really moved to Chicago. And uh, he called me, and uh, apparently Ken Harrelson, the general manager at the time, I called the Mets, and the, the Mets were not interested. Davey Johnson was already on the way to leading them to the World Series, and they had a, Dwight Gooden and Ron Darling, Sid Fernandez, all these other pitchers. They didn't—he didn't want Siever there. And so Siever called me, and he asked me. He says, "Could you call Steinbrenner for me?" And I said, mm. "What for?" And he said, "I need to get back to New York." And he said. No. I'm I'm hoping that maybe he'd be interested in trading for me and tell him that I'd love to finish my career with the Yankees. So I called George, and this was really crazy. I get involved in the middle of this trade because Harrelson's trying to do this deal with George, and George, I thought this was going to be right out of George's playbook to take all the attention away from the Mets on their way to the World Series, upstaging them by bringing Seaver back to New York. But it never happened because uh, George wouldn't give up this shortstop. Carlos Martinez was a kid's name you may remember him. He was a six foot six shortstop who never actually played shortstop in the majors. And George is saying, "I can't give up this prospect." And I said, "George, we're talking about Tom Seaver here." Meanwhile, I'm saying to myself, "What am I doing in the middle of this trade? <laughs> this is supposed to be between house. <laughs> So Amazing. anyway, the deal never happened. Harrelson calls me the next day and he says, "George won't give up Martinez, so i I got to have him in this deal, so I'm going to trade him to the Red Sox." And so that's what happened. But anyway, through the years after that, um, we were we remained friends, and then I had a mutual interest in wine with him, and he informed me, told me that this was what he was going to do for the rest of his life. He was going to he was done with broadcasting, and he was going to out to Calistoga. He bought himself a whole bunch of acreage on the top of diamond mountain and built his own wine uh, vineyard out there and became an award winning winemaker. And I was kind of like there with him during that. I made a couple of trips out to the vineyard both times, knowing that I was going to be in for a wine tutorial for the entire day, which is the way he was. And, um, so then in 2015, I got a call from a friend of mine who used to be the editor-in-chief of the Daily News who had formed his own production company, and he called me and he said, look, uh, I'd love to do a documentary on Seaver and in particular your relationship with him. Do you think he'd be interested? And I said, well, I don't know. I'll call him. Well, I was pleasantly surprised that he. Tom said, sure, come on out here and, and bring, your, bring your crew and whatever. But you have to remember, this, by this time, I knew that he was having issues with his memory and with uh, everything that had happened to him after he contracted Lyme disease for the second time. And he hadn't treated it. And this is what happened. And he went like seven or eight years having periodic memory issues and equilibrium issues. And he was terrified that he thought he might have had a stroke or or he was it was even getting alzheimer's disease and he wouldn't go to the doctor when he finally did the doctors told him uh the good news is you don't have alzheimer's but the bad news is you uh you your lyme disease has come back and it's starting to affect your brain it's gotten into your brain and everything else like this and uh so we can we can arrest it but we we're never going to be able to get back The memory that you've lost and it's going to get progressively worse. This was in this was in 2015, and um, so he was still okay by then, but he was getting, but it was starting to deteriorate. Anyway, we went out in 2016, and he was really great, and uh, we got some great footage with him and Nancy, his wife, and his family and his friends out there. And then uh, we went back again in 2017, and I could not believe the dramatic decline in his memory. He couldn't remember anything about his career in 2017, the 300th win. He couldn't remember much about that. And so um, um, about, I guess it was, that was in July. And then the following March, the family put out the statement that he was suffering from dementia. And it was at that point in time, that my friends all tell me, Billy, you got to do the book now. I had always been reluctant to do it because I knew an autobiography was going to be problematic with him because of his memory issues. But I've had so much material from him through the years and plus from the documentary, so much stuff from the documentary. We had hours hours of interviews with him and Nancy and his friends from Fresno and all these other, and Hall of Famers, his fellow Hall of Famers and teammates and everything else a ton of stuff that was left on the cutting room floor. So the material for the book was in place. And um, I was still a little reluctant because he he was at a point now where he wouldn't even know if I was doing the book. And I I said, you know, I don't know if I should go behind his back. I I feel funny about this. And they all said, look, if you don't do the book, someone else is going to do it and you're going to kick yourself because you're the guy to do this book. You were his friend. You knew him better than anybody else. And so that's really how the book came about.
0: Wow. So Tom Seaver, A Terrific Life, is the book by the Hall of Fame writer Bill Madden. And if that doesn't whet your appetite for it, I don't know what would. To, to cross over from a guy who covered someone to friend and then to know him uh, during his entire life and uh, the descent um, for what is such a brutal and, and, and mean disease and a, a tough time to be out there and let our listeners know bill what kind of brain siever was for pitching because obviously the drop and drive and the, the technical aspects of it are, are legendary and so many people did follow and probably should still be following what he did but also just his, his thought process and the genius kind of pitcher he was in addition to the stuff what uh, tell us about his mind for pitching if you will.
2: He really was uh he was the smartest player I ever covered. I mean, he was a brilliant mind, a beautiful mind so to speak. Uh, and um he uh he he had he had a way about everything he did. He put his whole mind into as far as he had a plan for everything. And uh he learned early on that he he needed to do he needed to have more than just a, a 96 mile an hour fastball to be an effective pitcher in the big wigs. and um, uh, there's a great story in the book, which uh, actually is a White Sox story. Um, when he was with uh, Cincinnati, he took a kid named Tom Hume, who wound up being the Reds' closer. Uh, he was a young kid at the time, and Seaver took him under his wing and um, uh, took him out to the uh, took him out to the theater and took him to plays and uh, museums and things like this. Uh, And Seaver, you may know this. uh, He'd be, you'd see him in front of his locker before games. And he'd be, instead of reading field and stream or, or whatever, like some of the other players, he'd be sitting there doing the New York times crossword puzzle in ink. But anyway, Hume, Hume, Hume was the one that told me, he said, you know, the thing about Tom, he says, that always amazed me. He's every batter, every batter, he was always pitching two pitches ahead. And um, I thought about that and I said, you know, that makes a lot of sense because um, the uh, story I got from La Russa was there was a situation where um, La Russa, first of all, I should, I should point out that La Russa told me that Siever was the only pitcher he ever let make his own decision about coming out of the game. Mm. And that goes back to his very first start with the White Sox, which I can tell you about later. But anyway, this particular game, Severs, he's, he's – uh, it's late in the game. There's a runner on third base. It's a one-run game. Uh, there's two outs, and a left-handed hitter is coming up. LaRusso's got a left-hander warming up in the bullpen. Severs, you know, he's 38 years old now, 39 years old or whatever and he's, you could see he was tiring. La Russa starts coming out to the mound, and, and Seaver waves him off. He says, don't worry, I got this guy. Hmm. So La Russa turns around, and he starts walking back to the dugout, and Seaver yells at him, but, but just so you know, I'm going to fall behind in the count, and then I'm going to get him to pop up to third base. <laughs> so La Russa gets into the – he's shaking his head as he goes into the dugout. So now Seaver falls behind in the count 2-0, and the batter, the left-handed batter, he's digging in now. He's looking for that fastball. And all of a sudden, Seaver throws him a changeup. He overswings and pops the ball up to the third baseman. <laughs> That's LaRou- an amazing Sievert story. Seaver walks off the mound, and he looks at LaRusse, and he just winks at him. <laughs> <laughs> the book
1: is Tom Seaver, uh, A Terrific Life. Our good friend Bill Madden wrote this book. You should get it for the holiday season. And just if you're a baseball fan, you will love uh, not only the baseball talk in there, but the humanity of Tom Seaver, which uh, Bill knows better than anyone else. In closing with you, Bill, uh, Matt, you're going to be interested to know that Bill, growing up in New York, was a White Sox fan. Hmm. And I, growing up here in Chicago, was a Yankee fan. (laughs) And uh, we helped each other along the way with our different interests, uh, as reporters over the 40 years do you still have your collection
2: yes i do uh most of it anyway um i moved to florida so from new jersey so i had to get rid of some of it uh but i have most of it i have all my baseball cards i can tell you that all my nelly fox cards wow. so
1: <laughs> um it, it, it i'm sure it's still vast and still something you take great enjoyment in uh bill uh other than the the common ways going online to get the book where can people go to get this uh, great book
2: well it's now available in all good bookstores all across the country um it's um uh, the it was originally supposed to come out next April for the uh, for the start of spring training if there is spring training i should say but that was the plan and then when Siever passed away in August uh, this past August uh, Simon Schuster said we should move up the pub date. So we moved it up to November the 24th and that's when it became available. So it's, it's out there everywhere. Now you can get it anywhere. And it, I, I got to tell you, Bruce, my favorite chapter in the book is is, is the chapter about the White Sox because there's so much really good stuff in there about, you know, what happened with him. And, uh, and yeah. when they he first got drafted there, and he almost got in a fist fight with Reinsdorf, but that's, that's for your readers to find out when they buy the book. <laughs> Bill, thank you. thank you so much for the time
1: and uh, the great reminiscence of Tom Seaver and this great book. Uh, have a great holiday season. Matt and I appreciate you joining us. Take care, and thanks for joining us on Inside the Clubhouse.
2: Okay, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. All right.
1: Bill. Great Bill Madden and that great wow. book, Tom Seaver, A Terrific Life. I read it, Matt, and it's sensational, so I will pass it on to you.
0: Oh, I appreciate it. I got to take in that white space. Half price for you. Half price. (laughs) I appreciate (laughs) it. And And
1: we got to run to a break.
0: Absolutely, but I'm going to go buy a bottle of Sievert Cabernet Sauvignon online as well here at the (laughs) break. We'll come back in a moment and wrap it up on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 the score. Final couple of minutes here on Inside the Clubhouse for 2020. Boy. Happy New Year to all the listeners. Happy New Year to you, Bruce Levine. Wouldn't it be nice to have a much cleaner baseball experience in 2021, with damn near a full regular season and uh, uninterrupted by pandemics? and And how about a how about a big old crowd on both sides of town uh, at some point very early in the baseball season? Wouldn't that be nice?
1: That would be awesome. Well, you're you're the first one to predict a 50 to 60 game season. Last year on our show, I believe a couple of times in as early as maybe April, I think we were talking and you were saying we'll take any season, even if it's 50 or 60. So hopefully uh, your prediction again of a full year uh, resonates as well. Uh, Great show today. We really enjoyed uh, Bob Nightingale, as always, from USA Today, the one and only Les Grobstein celebrating 50 Fantastic years of broadcasting, still doing score overnight for us, which is a treat. And uh, Bill Madden talking about Tom Seaver in his new book, which is outstanding. A terrific life. Matt, have a, a great, great New Year with you and your family. Thanks to all the listeners for being with us. We'll be looking forward to 52 more weeks with you talking baseball every Saturday from 9th to 11. They can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. On the website, at 670thescore.com, where I write both Sox and Cubs. Happy New Year, Matt.
0: Happy New Year to you, Bruce. Thanks to Mike Rankin for doing a great job producing today. Appreciate that very much, Mike. And thanks to all our producers this year who've done such a good job. Adam Stadzinski and Sean Anderson and uh, many more. Zach Withers and others I will forget to mention. But uh, they are all appreciated. NFL football is next. You can find me on Twitter at MattSpiegel670. I'll be in hosting the Parkins show this week on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, New Year's Eve. Have a great week, Bruce, and a Happy New Year to you and to yours.